The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us once again on Winning Ponies, an exciting week with the deluge at Pimlico and the chance once again to possibly crown a triple crown winner in American Pharaoh. Well, we're going to be talking a lot about that, and we're going to be talking to a connection very close to the story. His name is Brian Beach. He's a man behind the scenes. He is Victor Espinoza's agent. He's got to be walking on clouds right now. Last year, California Chrome. This year, American Pharaoh. Uh, Brian had an interesting introduction into the game through broadcasting, uh, but obviously has uh, climbed to the top. Uh, He's had such riders as uh, Julie Crone and Mike Smith, and right now he's got one of the hottest guys in racing. So we'll be talking about the Preakness and American Pharaoh with Brian Beach. And then also uh, one of our legendary handicappers, Bob Roberts, going to tell us a little bit about his visit down to Pimlico. We're going to talk about the race itself and then handicap some of this weekend's races. Uh, The lone graded race on Saturday is the Louisville Handicap. And then uh, out at Santa Anita, it's the California Gold Rush. A slew of races. We picked two of them, the Tisnow and the Snow Chief. And uh, if you want to get down on your action this weekend, don't forget, get your easy win form. Had some uh, recent good wins. And uh, we're not picky about the tracks we play. It's all over. So wherever you are, we've got the sheets for you. Uh, at uh, Gulfstream, uh, we pulled down a... A one-dollar uh, uh, super key, seventeen thousand dollars at Pimlico. A one-dollar super, one thousand nine hundred and six dollars. And how about Charlestown track? You don't play a whole lot or hear about a one-dollar super key, one thousand seven hundred and eighty dollars. And how about down at Sam Houston, a one-dollar super key. $1,360. All right, let's move on to the, the guts of the show. Uh, there's an outside chance we could have a surprise guest here. Uh, we'll see if we can get a hold of him. But the big news of the week was hasn't even swept the Triple Crown yet, but American Pharaoh has been syndicated and is going to stand at Ashford Stud when his racing career ends. And sad to say, I would have to say that that means at the end of his three-year-old career. He's going to stand at Coolmore's Ashford Stud near Versailles, Kentucky. Uh, That has been confirmed as of yesterday. Now, uh, uh, the Zayat Stables will retain management of the Colt through the end of his three-year-old campaign. So um, 
hopefully he will have a continued campaign after the Triple Crown. Of course, last year he was the Eclipse Award Juvenile Male. He's now won six of seven. All he did was not win his maiden debut. Uh, but but uh, what Zayat says is whatever happens in the Belmont, American Pharaoh is still an outstanding sire prospect, and uh, they're very happy that uh, he's going to move on with his uh, career there. He's going to join looking at Lucky, who won the Preakness and went on to win the 2010 Eclipse of the Champion three-year-old male. Uh, American Pharaoh's from the second crop of grade one winner, Pioneer of the Nile, a Zayat homebred who stands at Windstar Farm. So uh, he's still got a lot of connections uh, to American Pharaoh. Of course, he will keep, he didn't say how much, but he'll keep a part of the horse when he moves on to his uh, stallion uh, career. Now, speaking of American Pharaoh, he did return to the track today down in Louisville after uh, getting just kind of walked around the shed row for a while. After four days of race, um, he went to the track, uh, 645 this morning and just jogged once around the mile o- oval and uh, according to Baffert's chief assistant he looked good, couldn't be happier that's Jimmy Barnes saying that uh, and basically he's following the same post-Preakness training pattern that all three of Baffert's previous Triple Crown hopefuls have it was Silver Charm in 97 uh, Real Quiet in 98 and War Emblem in 2002 Baffert did the same thing. He sent them back to Churchill Downs and uh, just feels that that's the best way to do that. Uh, he knows that training in New York's okay, but he just feels that the horses are more comfortable back at their barn at Churchill Downs. Now, let's remember this. This is American Pharaoh's pursuit for racing immortality. For the 14th time, this is going to happen. And the third in the last four years we go back to 1978 and affirm that a horse has had a chance to join the 11 Triple Crown champions. And uh, here's what we know so far. The horses that are going to challenge him in this mile-and-a-half race uh, would be Carpe Diem. I'm not sure who's going to ride him. Conquest Curlinite, Sean Bridgemahan up. Fermento, Mike Smith has the call. Frosted, who closed very good in the Kentucky Derby after being shuffled back. Joel Rosario in the saddle. Keen Ice, made from Lucky, Materiality, and Mub Tahij, uh, and Tail of Verve. And surprisingly, War Story with Colby Hernandez, who comes up from Louisiana Downs. Our friend Ron Paolucci, he's always trying uh, something uh, different. So um, uh, Taylor Verve is already in New York. Uh, he's training there. Dallas Stewart feels that he went well. It was a crazy day, and it sure was. I know you were watching. That storm was something else. Uh, Danzig Moon, he's going to pass. He's going to go uh, to the Queen's Plate. Uh, and uh, Mr. Z, thank God he got this news. He's going to get a break. He's still eligible for non-winners at two. They said they're going to give him several weeks off. So, Mr. Z, a well-deserved break. Now, according to Vegas Insider, here are the early odds for the Belmont Stakes. American Pharaoh at 4-5, to then Frosted at 5-1, to Materiality, these are strange odds here, 13 to 2. Carpe Diem, 18 to 1. Made from Lucky, 22 to 1. Mubtahij, 14 to 1. 
Divining Rod, 20 to 1, Keen Ice, 22 to 1, Taliverve, 25 to 1, Conquest, Curlinate, 33 to 1, and Fermento at 50 to 1. So that's a look, again, just uh, according to uh, one site, and uh, that is, uh, again, Vegas Insider. So uh, kind of the story that that's breaking right now, War Story is going to try to tap into his speed for the Belmont Stakes. And as I said, uh, uh, Ron Paolucci, sometimes he takes the road less traveled, and I think my producer says we might even have a call-in. Do we have Ron Paolucci on the phone, Mike? I'm here. Hey, Ron, how are you doing? Uh, I, I, a lot of people, uh, including Tom Amos, were kind of surprised finding out War Story's going to go uh, into the Belmont, and it sounds like uh, you, you've got a different uh, game plan in place. Well, yeah, you know, um, I, I don't know how surprised Tom was that we're actually running. We had discussed it two couple days before, and, uh, you know, I talked to him after the Preakness, and with the way the Preakness shook out, you know, I just thought that was the road to go. And and uh, I, I think he was shocked by the fact that I said we were 100% running, not by the fact that we were actually going to run. So. Uh-huh. Well, just going by headlines in, in the daily racing form. Now, he was uh, 16th uh, in, in the Kentucky Derby, and it sounds like uh, you're not going to be pleased with letting uh, American Pharaoh have the race his own way, and it sounds like you've already committed to a tactic. Yeah, you know, uh, our strategy was try to beat some of the slower horses out of there in the derby and, you know, maybe sit mid-pack and try to stay off the rail. And for whatever reason, Joe called an audible. Uh, he broke really well, and uh, he made a left-hand turn and went right to the rail. You know, we brushed up against the rail at the 16th pole, brushed up against the rail before the turn, and then got thrown into the rail going down the backside. So, you know, he Joe got off the horse, shook his head, apologized, and said he had a lot of horse, you know. A lot of horse in that race with the fractions probably might have meant he might have got fourth or fifth. You know, it wasn't anybody going to close that day and get any big piece of it. But, uh, you know, just the fact that he said he had horse and he apologized, you know, just a brutal, brutal trip that day. I mean, which happens in the Derby. I mean, that happened to a lot of horses in that race. Now, you're a man for knowing to take a gamble and then take changes. And so it looks like there's also not only going to be a rider switch, but an equipment switch, uh, in the Belmont Stakes. Right, yeah. Uh, haven't made up our mind yet with the blinkers on, blinkers off. He actually broke as well as he's ever broke last time in the Derby. I mean, he shot out of there. and You know, Joe kind of grabbed him up and went to the rail. So that's something Tom and I got to mess around with the next week or so and uh, figure that out. But definitely a strategy switch and a rider switch. Um, nothing against Joe Talamo. I'm choosing to go with a hot hand. You know, I, you know from being at the smaller tracks, Sometimes there's a lot of hidden talent in those smaller tracks. And this kid, Colby Hernandez, is an amazing, amazing rider. Uh, you know, he's going to go big time at some point. Maybe this will be his coming out party. He, I've never seen a kid finish like this in my entire life. And, and that includes anybody in the big leagues, San Anita, you know, Saratoga, any of these guys that are riding right now. This kid gets a horse to come home as good as anybody, if not better. Well, I believe he's following the footsteps of his father, who was uh, for a long time uh, one of the leading riders at Evangeline Downs. And, of course, his brother, uh, uh, Brian Hernandez, is a top rider in the Kentucky circuit. I heard this kid was going places, uh, but you're really throwing a challenge at him. As you know, uh, the, the, the awesomeness, the sweep of, of Belmont is something that uh, even an experienced rider sometimes has to get used to. Will he go up and work the horse or get any experience at Belmont before the race? 
Uh, you know, I'm thinking about running Senior Tiscano in the Brooklyn, which is a mile and a half, the same exact distance. And that race, I most assuredly, will be before the the uh, the Belmont. So he could get some some. Uh, you know, he could get some experience there, but let me tell you something. I don't think this kid's saved by anything. You know, I mean, I think he knows what he's going to do. We've got a game plan, and, uh, you know, our game plan is simple. We're, we're not going to try to sit behind Frost and American Pharaoh, Mukahish, all these horses. You know, it's going a mile and a half. I don't think anybody's going to gun out of there a mile and a half except for me. If American Pharaoh wants to go 47, 46 and change, I won't be around, but neither will he. You know, my, my only shot is to try to get on the front end, use my horse's is, is tactical, if not, you know, good speed. He doesn't show it except for one race because we never asked him to show it, you know, except for the one race. So he definitely has a very high cruising speed. And, uh, you know, he's going to look over Espinosa and he's going to see a 50, 60 to one shot. You know, does he really want to go 46 and change and lose a triple crown by pushing me? That's what I'm banking on. You know, it's a strategy, it's a gamble, but I, I don't think my horse is superior enough to run by six good horses. So, you know, I want to win the race. I don't care about beating American Pharaoh. I don't care about the Triple Crown. That doesn't do anything for me. You know, I'm going there to win. I'm not going there to take American Pharaoh out. I'm not going there to, you know, to make sure he does or doesn't win. I'm going there to win a race on my own. It doesn't pay me anything if he wins or it doesn't pay me anything if he loses, American Pharaoh. So. Well, it's uh, it, it, it's uh, going to be interesting, and it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, Ron, I, I appreciate you, uh, you you coming on. You, you've always got kind of a unique angle and a perspective of everything. And quite frankly, when you look at the history of the race, so many people think because it's a mile and a half that this is a race that favors closers. But if you go back and look at the charts over the last 20 years, you better be on or near the lead when you hit that Absolutely. quarter pole turning for home. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, that's that's the whole key to this game is, is, is dictating the pace. And if somebody wants to run with me, you know, then they're going to lose their chance to, to to win the Belmont. But I got one shot, in my opinion, is to be on or sitting right off the lead. I don't want to track American Pharaoh. You know, if he gets a lead, it's lights out probably more than not. You know, uh, so I, I'm going to make him run to beat me for sure. If he, if he wants to go out there and duel with me, so be it. Hey, listen, I can tell you one thing. I've taken down a lot of big races and you know, I've used strategy to do it, and this is going to be no different. So watch out for this kid. Watch how good this kid finishes if it comes down to it. He's as strong as anybody there is. Trust me. Uh, all right. Well, we've been talking with Ron Paolucci, uh, and he's he's going to have his uh, big horse war story in the Belmont. We'll see if the strategy works. It's going to be very uh, interesting, and we'll see if uh, if Brian Beach, Victor Espinosa's uh, agent, is listening to this portion of the show because he's scheduled to be up with us next. So thanks again to Ron Paolucci for for calling in and being with us. And we're going to take a quick break. And we come back, we're going to be going to the beach. Brian Beach, agent to the stars. Is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? 
can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, very lucky to have Brian Beach, a guy whose uh, feet perhaps have started to touch the ground after the run he's had over the last couple of years with, with Victor Espinoza, uh, originally from the Spokane, Washington area, got introduced to the races at Playfair Racecourse, where his, his father uh, had the inside skinny with the clerk of scales. I think that's where he got the bug. Uh, graduated from Washington State, got a degree in broadcasting, and ended up doing local broadcasting. Uh, Brian, welcome to Winning Ponies. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Well, let's uh, rewind the clock a little bit, because we've got plenty to talk about with, with Victor and uh, American Pharaoh. But um, when you got into broadcasting, did you have a, an eye of thinking this might be my way to get into racing, or were you just thinking, hey, that's my degree, I'm going to end up being a sports guy? Yeah, no, I really didn't have any um, any designs on, on doing anything in horse racing at that time. Uh, you know, it was always just sort of a uh, passing interest for me. I really was planning on, uh, you know, one night, one time being the host of, you know, Monday Night Football or something like that. That was, those are my dreams when coming out of college. Um, it just kind of took a um, fortuitous turn at one point um, when I was working in television in uh, Washington State and um, kind of just ran into a guy uh, at Playfair one day that, you know, was connected to um, Santa Anita and Hollywood Park, met him again down the road, and, you know, by that time he had kind of had an idea about getting uh, someone like me to go to work for him in racing, uh, someone that had racing knowledge but also was a broadcaster. Um, and back in the 80s, you know, there weren't a lot of those kind of guys around. Um, this was before, you know, uh, Golden Gate Fields or Bay Meadows, uh, those kind of places had you know, a, uh, a paddock show or anything like that. And so, um, you know, like I said, it was just sort of happened. And uh, from there, after a couple of years of doing a lot of radio and TV shows um, connected with, with the racetracks in Northern California, I accepted an invitation to be uh, an agent uh, for a jockey named Van Belvoir. He was my first jockey and uh, you know, we had a real good run together and he's a trainer now actually in Southern California. He won, uh, he won two races today. I think he won the second and third races on the card today. 
Not bad. And the gentleman you were talking about was uh, Bob Benoit, a gentleman I, I knew uh, years ago. Uh, we were both associated with the Turf Publicists of America. He was a real class act, and obviously he found one in, in Brian Beach. Well, uh, Brian, I guess uh, your first breakout guy was uh, Kent DeSormo, who I believe you hooked up in 1996. That's correct, yeah. Um, I was working in Northern California at the time. Uh, Van had... Uh, um, he had just gone back to Washington State and wanted to, and they opened up um, Emerald Downs. He wanted to uh, go back there and ride for the first season at Emerald Downs. And uh, I stayed behind in, in California. Um, kind of at that point, I did have some designs on, you know, doing um, some other things in racing as far as uh, agenting goes. I, I figured if I was going to do the job, then I, I wanted to, um, you know, be involved in, in the best racing and the top races with the top jockeys. And, and uh, I was fortunate enough that um, I caught the attention of Kent DeSormo and uh, he hired me to come south uh, to the Southern California circuit. And, you know, we had a good run together um, with, uh, with Kent, but it really kind of, you know, was my introduction to Southern California racing and, and dealing with people like Bob Baffert and Bobby Frankel and Richard Mandela and, and, uh, you know, racing at a higher level. Well, and, and it is. It's all about the, the developing of, of relationships for a good jockey agent. Um, my question is, I, got, I guess I got a couple of them. Well, number one is, what do you look for in a jockey before taking them on? Well, number one, they, you know, I, the guys with the, uh, the obvious talent, you know, those guys stick out. But um, what I really look for... You know, I want a, um, a person that I can get behind, that I can believe in, and, you know, sell without any reservations to, um, you know, to the trainers. I mean, a guy that if I owned the horse, I, you know, I would, I would want to ride. And, uh, you know, it just works so much better that way when you actually have that belief in, in your rider. And, um, you know, and, and especially if you see some untapped potential, you know, maybe some, some areas where, um, you know, people are kind of missing it on them and you can, you know, that happens more, more so with a young jockey than it does with, you know, more established jockey, like a, you know, Mike Smith or a Gary Stevens or someone like that. But, you know, it's, it's, um, it really comes down to having confidence and, and, and believing in what you're selling. Now, I, the, the next question I have and is, how do you delicately balance the trainers when you have a rider that's so much in demand, uh, such as uh, uh, Julie Crone, Mike Smith, uh, Victor Espinoza, and you've developed a relationship with these trainers over the years, uh, and more than one perhaps wants your services for a race. H- how do you balance that? It- it's got to be a very fine line, and it's got to be a-, a tough decision for you because I guess you're looking down the road at how well that one mount you decide you're going to take is going to take you. Well, I mean, you-, you, hit, you know, hit the nail on the head right there. That's one of the real keys to being a successful agent is, is trying to keep the most people happy at the same time riding the most winners. And, you know, sometimes you have to sacrifice, you know, maybe a winner uh, that you could have ridden to keep, you know, one of your main clients happy. Um, you know, these trainers, 
you know, they have a lot of uh, owners and, and relationships that they have to deal with as well. And you don't want to put them in a bad spot with their, with their owners. And, you know, so it's a balancing act. Uh, it's a juggling, you know, you have to kind of juggle that, that need and that want to win every race that you ride. But also, you know, at the same time, you're always trying to maintain your business or build on your business. And you can't do that if you have unhappy customers. Um, now, you, you, you talked about the, the trainers. I, I think about Art Sherman. I think about Bob Baffert. It seems to me like they're kind of at two different ends, ends of the world. Uh, how, is, how different has the ride been for you uh, from California Chrome uh, to American uh, Pharaoh? Uh, obviously, they well, both had the same accomplishments, but you're dealing with totally different personalities. Has the ride had a different feel for you and Victor? Yeah, it has from a you know from the standpoint of you know with with art it was uh, really kind of a family affair with uh, w- with art and Victor and myself um, you know the three of us all at one time had been in Northern California at the same time you know migrated to Southern California that all kind of hit the big time and you know so it was very satisfying you know, to take that ride with Art and his family, um, his sons, uh, Alan and Steve, you know, were two of my better friends when uh, I was living in the Bay Area. And so that was very satisfying, and it was, you know, a lot of fun to just be on that ride with him because it was the first time, you know, really for everybody uh, in in that sense of, you know, the situation being winning the Derby and then winning the Preakness and having a chance at the Triple Crown. Um, you know, with Bob, um, I've had a lot of success with Bob. I've been very fortunate over my, you know, career that he's been very good to me and put, um, you know, my riders on, uh, some great courses, um, won some Breeders' Cup races for him, won a lot of big, big races for him. And so it really is something that is not, uh, surprising for me really to be in this position with him. I'm just glad that he picked us, you know, to ride this horse and, um, you know, he, he's been through these situations before. And so, you know, when you're riding for a guy like Bob in these kind of situations, you know, you have a lot of confidence. Um, and I, I know Victor has a lot of confidence and, you know, so that's, um, it's kind of, um, maybe it's more business. We're trying to get something done here. We're trying to, you know, it was a big deal for Bob to win his fourth derby. It was a big deal for Mr. Zayat and his family to win their first derby. Um, you know, so we really kind of had a little different pressure and a little dip- different atmosphere, um, you know, going through these last couple races with this horse and, and even really the, the lead up to the Kentucky Derby. Uh, you know, uh, it was very disappointing when we didn't get to run in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And, um, you know, you just never know how a horse is going to come back off of, you know, an injury or a layoff. And Bob is, um, you know, he's the master at that. He, you know, there's not too many people uh, in the world that would have been able to get, you know, that horse ready as fast as he got him ready to run in the Rebel and then the Arkansas Derby and having the Kentucky Derby be his third race off of a layoff and run the way that he did. Well, I've got to ask you, you know, when you looked at it on paper, um, he was legitimately the favorite. He was the horse to beat uh, last Saturday. But did your, did your heart go in the throat a little bit when that 
quagmire erupted and they were chasing people out of the infield. I mean, you've got to admit, on a normal race day, they would have kept those horses in the paddock till that storm passed. Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, I've seen it many times. Uh, you know, we don't get those kind of rainstorms here in California, but I've, you know, watched racing around the country and I've worked on the East Coast and in the Midwest, you know, on several occasions, uh, especially in Kentucky, where, you know, you have these flash storms that just come through. And uh, I, I've seen that, you know, many times where the horses, you know, they might even be on the track in the post parade and they turn around and go back in the paddock. And this situation, right. you know, there was a lot of, you know, other circumstances that they had to take into consideration here with national television and, um, you know, the lightning strikes and, and uh, just trying to balance everything out and, you know, I, they gave the riders up call, and it was like 10 minutes later before they actually put the riders on the horses. And I know that, uh, you know, the feeling down on the turf course where they were saddling the horses, you know, there was a lot of, uh, un, you know, people that were unsure about what the situation was, whether they were, you know, actually going to go forward with the race, whether they're going to delay it. Um, you know, the Baltimore Fire Department was trying to evacuate the infield. And, uh, you know, I was... It was a concerning situation, that's for sure. I was, you know, in, in my box by that time, and I was seeing it all, you know, play out in front of me, and I could see the skies, and I could see the, you know, the uh, the lightning, and hear the thunder. Um, but, you know, we were, I was just praying that we were able to get the race in because I knew that, you know, the actual condition of the racetrack and the rain wasn't really going to be a concern for Victor or American Pharaoh. I mean, they had handled it before. We, you know, they had a pretty good, uh, you know, rain during the race and, and the post parade and everything in the Rebels. So we knew we could handle it. And actually, you know, it probably played into our favor a little bit. Um, but, yeah, there was, you know, was, there was a moment of, of concern about what was going to happen and whether it was going to be safe to run the race and, and you know, just what was actually going to transpire. Well, um, you know, I read where he returned to the track today, and uh, Baffert's taken the, the same plan he did uh, w- with the other horses he was going to the Triple Crown with. Now, but it is a three-week difference. Uh, will Victor uh, work American Pharaoh before the Belmont, or is that you waiting to find that out? Yeah, no, we, we, we don't. Uh, Victor doesn't work this horse. Um, he he uh, Bob has a routine that this horse has been in, since you know, since he first came into the barn, uh, Martin Garcia works the horse on a normal basis. Um, Bob has um, really not mapped out a plan, at least one that he's told me yet, as far as what what's going to happen over the next couple weeks to get him to the race. I know, you know, the horse is back at Churchill Downs, and um, you know, Bob's main concern is, you know, just putting some gas back in the tank and and making sure that he's happy and healthy. You know when he uh, when he makes the trip over to uh, Belmont. So well, one that could mean working him. That could mean not working him. That you know, Bob. He you know he kind of plays things by ear and and his eye and what he sees and and uh, you know so he'll he'll let us know what's going on and and you know if he ends up needing us to come work the horse and that's what we'll do. Uh, Brian, you've been very generous with your time. One one last question. I know you're thousands of miles away from the situ- situation, and so is Art Sherman. Uh, but do we know whether or not uh, if they go into, I believe, the Prince of Wales stakes, if if Victor will be riding California Chrome? 
Uh, we don't know that. Um, I think right now, um, you know, there's a little bit of uncertainty about just what direction they're going. Um, Alan Sherman, uh, he was scheduled to go over there um, actually the, the the day after the derby, and he didn't make the trip because they had kind of um, changed plans and weren't going to run him on the 16th in the race at Newbury. Um, and we and we weren't going to ride him in that race because that was the same day as the, as the Preakness. So, you know, they're getting daily updates and, and you know, reports on what's going on with Chrome over there. And once uh, Alan gets over there, then they're going to kind of make a decision. But I, I really think that they're probably going to end up with a European rider on him. Uh, I'm not, I, I don't know that for sure, but um, just kind of the feeling that I'm getting. Well, listen, uh, thank you once again so much. We're talking with Brian Beach, uh, who is currently the jockey agent for Victor Espinoza, and I got a feeling that just about every jockey agent in the country would be more than happy to trade jobs with you, Brian. Well, I'm in a very fortunate position, and I love working for Victor, and we're, we've had a great couple of years, and just hope to you know, um, keep it going and get one more for, you know, for the team here in the next couple of weeks, and um, that would be uh, just a dream come true. Well, be- best of luck because I think all of the world would uh, like to see nothing but another Triple Crown winner. Uh, no offense to Steve Cawthon and Affirmed, who uh, I know personally and love dearly, but uh, I think it would be great for the game. And uh, I just congratulate uh, uh, Victor on his uh, sensational decisions that he's made on this horse, the outstanding job that Baffert's done conditioning him, and the luck that you've had in landing in the right saddle, Brian. All right. Well, I appreciate it. We always need luck in this game. All right. Thanks. We've been talking with Brian Beach, the uh, jockey agent for Victor Espinoza, who will be riding into a chance to wear the Triple Crown the first time since 1978 when little Stevie Cawthon, the kid, and a firm got the job done. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a break here. When we come back, we hope we have... Bob Railbert Roberts with us to give us his impressions of the Preakness Stakes and to break down some races from Churchill Downs and Santa Anita. Again, you're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. I just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports.
You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. And uh, my producer, Michael, tells us we're having a little trouble getting a hold of Bob Railbird Roberts. So we will continue with some more news of the week. Uh, some late-breaking news with a gentleman that has been a guest on Winning Ponies before, and that's about John Court. Of course, he's based in Kentucky. It looks like he won the Mike Venezia Memorial Award, uh, and it will be presented to him on Monday at Belmont. Park. Now, the Venezia Award is very special to most jockeys. Uh, it, it's voted on by the fans. It's an awarded to a jockey who exemplifies extraordinary sportsmanship and citizenship. Uh, it's named in honor of Mike Venezia, who died as results of injuries suffered in a spill back in 1988 at Belmont Park. Uh, if you think about it, this puts John in company with uh, uh, class acts such as Bill Shoemaker. Uh, Angel Cadero Jr., Jerry Bailey, Mike Smith, Gary Stevens, Richard Migliori, and Ramon Dominguez. So uh, that's uh, quite a uh, ring of honor to be involved in. Uh, so uh, John Court topped the Internet poll of fans. And on the ballot included Javier Castellano, Cornelio Velasquez, and Joe Bravo, all class acts in their own right. Now, the thing about John Court is he, this is his second award that he got from uh, people outside of just wins and money earned. He also uh, earned the George Wolf Memorial Award back in 2007. Now, that one is voted on by jockeys. Uh, right, and it honors riders whose career and personal character earn esteem for the individual and the sport of thoroughbred racing. And I can tell you, as a person that's gotten to know John Court over the years, he is very much of a, of a class act and certainly deserving of it. His horses have earned over $94 million. Uh, he's won over 3,880 races. Uh, some of his best graded stakes winners were a horse I can't pronounce, the Roy Asamayu, Arch, 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 Lina David, and Lang Field. So congratulations to John Court. Also want to send out best of luck and some prayers to Randy Romero. It looks like he's going to have to undergo stomach surgery. Uh, word just came out yesterday from Lafayette, Louisiana, and uh, they're not sure whether or not his stomach tumor is cancerous, but they are going to perform surgery as soon as possible to get a definitive diagnosis. Uh, of course, uh, Randy uh, has been through uh, many different surgeries. Uh, the, there was the tragic time when he became a ball of fire, and he made that comeback after that very severe uh, skin surgery. Uh, and uh, so... The fact that he suffered from such a litany of injuries and illnesses, uh, he certainly deserves our prayers. And myself and hopefully you guys listening out there in Winning Ponies land will send some to Randy Romero. Now, uh, here's news about a big guy that's coming back, two-time horse of the year, uh, Wise Dan, who's uh, done well over the last few weeks in his recovery from a fracture to his right ankle. And uh, Lopresti says he's under a light training to harden the bone in the area 
surrounding the injury. Now, Wise Dan's based at Keeneland. They say he spends probably about three hours each day out of his stall, and uh, he alternates between uh, jogging and and walking. Uh, so it, it's going to be you know easy comeback for him. Obviously, he's a gelding, so there's no reason to rush him off to any stud farm. But uh, Larry Bramlage, who's one of the top experts in equine evaluation. Uh, they're going to send him back for a round of x-rays on Sunday. He's eight years old now, but let's face it, he's won 11 grade one races, uh, two editions of the Breeders' Cup Mile. He's earned more than $7.5 million. Uh, he has not raced since last year's grade one Shadwell Turf Mile at Keeneland. So, you know, Chuck Lepresti says he's sound and happy, and he's only going to return to racing if he is 100%. And, uh, I'm behind that. Okay, let's go to our NTRA top thoroughbred poll for this week. And the top thoroughbred poll right now, now this includes all horses of all ages, shared belief has a slight edge over American Pharaoh, who jumped ahead of California Chrome. Main sequence is listed as fourth, uh, Constitution fifth, Tonal is sixth, Lee, seventh. Finnegan's Wake, who's been tearing him up on the turf, is eighth. Then you got the Speedy Moreno, and at tenth is Untappable. Now, as far as three-year-olds, there's no doubt right here. American Pharaoh, best his stablemate, Dortmund. Fast closer, Frosted, is in the third spot, firing line fourth. Then we go to Materiality, Carpe Diem, Lovely Maria, Competitive Edge, International Star, and Divining Rod. Again, though, that is just the, the three-year-old uh, division. Now, as uh, far as horses that have been, uh, you know, faring uh, well, um, we will uh, take a look at that. It looks like we finally uh, got my main man, uh, Bob Roberts, on the phone. So with no further ado, if he's finally finished uh, down in his pasta at home, we'll get him on the line. Bob Roberts, you there? You had pork and sauerkraut tonight, John. I needed good luck yeah. to talk to you, so I had sauerkraut and pork. Yeah, well, good. Well, I, you know, I missed you for about seven minutes, but, but we're, we're we're here together now. Anyhow, we get we got staring you. at my. I'm I'm staring at the home phone, waiting for it to ring. The guy says he called ten times. I don't know what the heck's going on. So we'll do cell phone. What's the difference, right? Pay your bill. Pay your bill, Bob. Very, <laughs> very important. Well, anyhow, I heard you took a little trip down to Pimlico last week. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I covered those uh, three races for like 30 years, and I always, for some reason, I really liked going to Baltimore. I guess I fell in love with the uh, crab cakes and the Inner Harbor, and uh, uh, Baltimore's a little Italy when you go to Sabatino's. On the menu is a uh, antipasto called the Bookmaker Salad. And when they pour that Italian dressing on there, it's as thick as paint, but it tastes a lot better. So I went for just a couple of days. I went Wednesday for the draw. And Thursday, I went for the alibi breakfast because I had to come back and do a handicapping seminar one of the tracks are in Cleveland. So I just got a little taste of Baltimore. Well, I'm sure it was good to have you back there. You're, you're, you're missed in the press boxes since you left the, uh, the Cleveland Plain Dealer, though I know you're signed on uh, for some work down there in Austin Town, and uh, it, it, it's good to see that and, and good to know that. Now, let me get your read on the – 
the, the race in the storm. Uh, and I just got off the phone with Victor Espinosa's agent, uh, Brian Beach, and uh, he certainly said there were, you know, periods of, uh, whew, are we going to really go out there? As you know from this area of the country we live in, if that had come down, those horses would have returned to the paddock and waited for the storm to pass through. Oh, at Belterra, Thistle Down, and in the New York Minute, they'd have been back in the paddock. No question about it. You're right. They probably got lucky that it wasn't worse than it was, but it sure looked bad. But I know one thing. When they started to pour, you can scan those past performances real fast and see the only horse in that race with a win on a sloppy track was uh, was the winner, American Pharaoh. So I thought it played in. I, you know what? I really think it really helped uh, Espinosa make his decision as to what to do because He's been pulling up, talking to, uh, uh, what's her name, uh, Brothers, Donna Barton Brothers. She, he wasn't sure what he was going to do. I think the rain helped him gun that horse out of the gate. Well, you know, if, if you read the chart caller's um, quote, and, it, and it's something you don't see all the time, it was uh, that he was shoved to the front. Those were his first yeah. words. American Pharaoh was shoved to the front. And that's exactly what happened. Luckily, Martin Garcia looked like he wanted to get off that 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 uh, river on the rail, so he kind right. of moved out a little bit. You know, he had enough speed on Dortmund to get out there, and what that did was open up uh, the levee, shall we say, for American Pharaoh to to get to get through where he was. That said, turning for home when that uh, divining rod made a move, I go, oh my God, these people from uh, the Barbaro stables. They might upset the Preakness today because that horse made a real nice move leaving the backstretch to get in a contention. But uh, the Pharaoh said goodbye. So here we are again, John. I can't. I know. I, I went back and looked at the record as of how many times I went to New York as a plane dealer reporter looking for the Triple Crown. My God, I think my first one was Pleasant Colony, Ali Sheba, Sunday Silence, Silver Charm, Real Quiet, Charismatic, War Emblem. Funny side, Smarty Jones, and Big Brown. I mean, come on already. I know. They they say the biggest race in New York is the Preakness Stakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a great story about the 1997 uh, Triple Crown run, and you'll, you'll know the guy. I'm sitting at home. It's uh, a week after the Preakness. My phone rings, and it's Landon Knight. You oh, remember yeah. Landon? His father Very was well. John Knight, Knight Ritter papers and the yep. Knight family was big into horse racing and Great Landon uh, as a youngster Landon had polio and uh, as he grew older he was on the canes, the sticks and then as he got even older he ended up in the wheelchair because he couldn't support his body weight anymore and he had bred a horse that was going to run in the Epsom Derby and he called me and said because he liked me for some reason I, I gave him clippings and you know stuff he says uh would you escort my wife to the Epsom Derby? I'm going to have a horse in the Epsom Derby. I go, are you kidding me? You're inviting me to all expenses paid to escort your wife to the Epsom Derby? He goes, I can't go. I just, the travel is for me. I go, I'll be more than happy to go. When's the Epsom Derby? And he said, June 6th. I go, oh, my God. That's the day of the Belmont. I have to go to New York. The Silver Charms bid for the Triple Crown. I can't go, Landon. It's killing me. I can't go. I sat in that press box on Belmont Day at 12 to 1 o'clock, refreshing my computer because we're five hours behind England to see who won the Epsom Derby, and there it came. Betty the Dip wins Epsom Derby. Landon's horse won the Epsom Derby, which means I would have met the Queen. 
<laughs> yeah, you would have. You would have. And it's funny you say that because Landon was a friend of mine too, and though he didn't invite me to escort his wife to the derby, I, I called. I called him that day after Benny the Dip won at Epsom, and to, to congratulate him, and he goes, "Yeah, re- yeah, th- thanks a lot, John." He goes, "You know what?" I got a really nice horse that's going to start in the seventh at Belmont here in about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> that's him. And you know what? Though? The wife brought back, I guess, Channel 4 is the closest thing to back then to ESPN. And his wife brought back a two-hour video uh, a tape of the whole day. And Landon had a party at one of the country clubs in the suburban Akron. And we all went there and, you know, put on the feet bag and watched a two-hour show of Benny the Dip. I think he won by his nose. Desperate knows to win that race, too. But that was my chance, buddy. And, so, and what happens four hours later? Silver Charm is nailed on a wire. Yeah. Well, listen, I know a lot of our listeners are, are tuned into you to try to get uh, your, your insight. You've been a handicapper for I won't tell them how many years because it's going to yeah. date you, uh, like, like cutting down an old cedar tree and reading the rings. <laughs> um, we've only got, uh, oh, about six minutes or so, but let, let's cut into okay. the, the races. Uh, we'll, we'll start down in Kentucky, the only graded race on Saturday. Uh, it's the, the, the Louisville handicap, if I'm mumbling that correctly. Um, the... the a horse, I believe, uh, you got to beat in here is Majestic Harbor. Even though this race is a mile and a half on the turf, he's never won at the distance, and he has never won on the turf. Or no, he's finished third, but it looks like he, that Paul McGee's been trying to get him on the turf, but it rains every time it happens. But this right. is one fit animal, man. I mean, he won those uh, two races. If you ever, if you saw him, I mean, Corey Lannery just cleared the field on those. So I would right. think he, he wanted to be on the turf, but didn't get there. And uh, he, he, he's, he's the horse with the bull on his back. But there's there's some other interesting horses in here, and I want to get Bob Roberts read on the race. This must be one of the most evenly matched races in the history of morning lines. Did you notice the three horses five to one? Then Majestic Harbor seven to two, Extra Luck is four to one, Golden Soul is four to one, and Patriotic and Proud is nine to two. I've never seen you know odds on one, two, three, four, five, five of the nine horses laying all over each other. I don't see a whole lot of speed in here. I think Neil Howard might steal this race with Extra Luck. He, he could oh, go to the front and uh, and get lucky here. Yes, he could, and he he put in a game race at a mile and a half, and Brian Hernandez will be back up. Well, it's a, a kind of like the uh, the the Best of Ohio or the Breeders' Cup of of California this weekend. A slew of races, none of them graded, but they're, they're all horses that were either um, kind of like accredited bred or were California breds by other sires, and we put right. two races in here to take a look at. Uh, we'll start with, uh, and I believe that it's going to be seeded pretty good uh, with some pick four money, uh, but um, uh, Milan and Eighth, the, the, the Snow Chief, I noticed that these are three-year-olds, and none of them won at a mile and an eighth. That always makes for an interesting handicapping puzzle. Yeah, it does. It's, 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 it, I like the way you know, the conditions are for California sired. How about that? Eligible California or California sired horses, which is, uh, you know, you're not, you could have been, you're not a state bred, but you're eligible for this race because the sire was California. Yeah, I mean, Majestic I'm Warrior, a, the sire yeah. chief of staff, he stands in Kentucky, but obviously the, yeah. the baby was foaled in California. Right, so like I right, said, right. It's like the accredited bred or the open Ohio bred. 
I was looking at this three horse, book 34, Doug O'Neill horse. They put blinkers on him two starts back, and it was a disaster. They took him off, and he broke his maiden. And he got up, he got up late to, to break his maiden. I, I, I like the way he's coming into the race, and he, they, they probably never should have put the blinkers on him in the first place. I think that horse could, could have come up with a big race. You got the deuce in there, Richard's boy. He's two for two at Santa Anita on the grass. Well, I this think he's going to be question. a handful, too. This, this is the question with Richard's boy. Uh, I'm right. going with Zinvor. Uh, Victor Espinosa is going to be riding this horse. Uh, has is the regular rider, but they've only stretched him out twice, and he won both route races, albeit yeah. they were on the turf. But that last race was against older horses, and if you compare his final time at a mile versus the other ones in this race, um, he, he's he's dangerous. So he had a solid time yeah. versus older horses. I'm going to put Zinvor over Grayson Sky and Polmark because Polmark, though being California bred uh, and, and has fared pretty well, and he finished second in three of these restricted Cal races, went to the San Felipe and uh, uh, finished behind a horse by the name of Dortmund. So no embarrassment yeah. there for a Cal bred. Boy, look at that Polmark. When's the last time I saw Jer- Jerry Hollandor for two for thirty? He's really, man. He's never two for thirty. He might be in a little bit of a slump there, Santa Anita, huh? Uh, we'll find out if Hollendorfers come out of slumps before. So, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Right, but now, now, now we'll go. Um, I believe uh, the other race we're going to look at was the uh, hundred fifty thousand dollar Tisnow at at right. a flat mile, um, and uh, this race here. Um, I'm, I'm liking Motown Men off its current uh, form, but I think the question mark horse in here is a horse I'm probably going to pronounce wrong, Soy Set, who made its last start in Tokyo. Kent DeSormo seems to fit this horse pretty good. I noticed that the last three times he rode him, this horse came home a winner, and he's up again on Saturday. Yeah, I see that. He hasn't run since December 29th in Japan. He's 0 for 9 at Santa Anita. That kind of bothers me a little bit. Your horse is always always there. I mean, you could never leave this horse out of a gimmick. Five wins, six seconds, and five thirds. So you gotta, you got to use that horse. I'm looking at a horse who's never run in a stake race, and this is why this is a stake race. It's, you know, Toledo Eddie. He loves Santa Anita. He's 4 for 6 there. He threw a big workout down at Los Alamitos two days ago. This horse, um, with the Van Dyke kid, uh, uh, the, the jock up on this horse, this horse could come up with a big race here. You know what I mean? Well, if you throw, by the way, this horse is 0 for 10 on the turf. So if you throw out those 10 turf races, he's 9 for 20 on the dirt. He's 6 to 1 on the morning line. I don't think I'm going to bet this horse. Toledo Eddie. Uh, a very, very interesting. Well, uh, my, uh, my, uh, Producers tell me I only got a minute, Bob. What okay. do you think about the chances of American Pharaoh wearing the Triple Crown? Well, John, I hope he does. But I uh, wish you would have asked the agent if, if he was going to send him out of that gate. Because I went back and looked at all the Triple Crown charts. Seven of the 11 Triple Crown winners went wire to wire in the Belmont. You can make a case that it's eight or nine, but seven for sure. He's got to send this horse out of there. California Chrome should have been sent and wasn't. So I hope he, hope he learned his lesson last year and sends his horse right from the bell, gets to the front, and let him come and get him. He's the best horse. Let him come and get you. All right. Well, we've been talking with Bob Railbird Roberts. Rob, thanks. I appreciate your time as right, always. 
And I, I want to thank uh, Victor Espinoza's uh, agent, uh, Victor Espinoza, for being on with us, and for Ron Paolucci uh, for making a surprise call in early in the show. We'll see what happens to War Story. We know he, they are sending him to the front in the Belmont Stakes. That's coming up in two weeks. So thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget, go on winningponies.com, get your easy win forms, and get rich. Yeah, so time to shut the show out as I look over the manicured turf course across the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky. I'm John Engelhart. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies. And remember, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. <laughs>